May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. If we were to give um, our gospel reading today a, a title, in, in a sense, it's Who Are You? Uh, so I thought we might start off by thinking about who you are. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to turn around, talk to your neighbour for about, well, I don't know, not very long. And I want you to ask each other about three times, who are you? And I want you to come up with a different answer each time. Okay? It's only three, so it's not hard. Imagine doing this for a minute or five minutes. You get down to the nitty gritty after a while. So just talk to your neighbours for three times, who are you? Alright, it seemed more complicated than I imagined it would be, but um, what kind of answers did you come up with? Grandmother? Mother? A caregiver. Right, there's three. How about others? Child of God. Child of God. Yep, very good. Disciple of Christ, yep. Okay. Yep. I heard that up the front. Any others? I assume you might have given your name. Well, that's the obvious one. Who are you? I'm John. So all of those answers, so if I was to answer that, I could say that I was a husband and a father and a son and a brother and a vicar and a priest and a Franciscan, an Anglican, a cyclist, and then we carry on. And, um, and if you keep doing that, you kind of get beyond, beyond those kind of labels and you have to go a little bit deeper, which is a little harrowing, so we won't do that. But all of those... All of those things shape how we see ourselves in the world and how we live in the world. As I was preparing for Ash Wednesday, uh, burning the palm crosses to make the ash, which is always a lot of fun, uh, kind of do it a different way every time, and I uh, didn't use the microwave this year, so you can microwave them just to finish drying them out and then they burn really well. Uh, as I was burning that, burning those palm crosses and preparing the liturgy, thinking about what we would do, which is pretty much what we do every year, uh, but particularly that phrase, from dust you come and from dust you shall return. For some reason I was reminded that the world is made of, well, what is the world made of? Stardust. Stardust. We like all of creation, are made of stardust. So it's not just dust, but stardust. And then I remembered the Genesis phrase, the Genesis story, where God took the stardust and moulded it to become humanity and in an act of profound love, breathed life into that stardust. So we came close, child of God, but none of you said, I'm stardust that was moulded and had life lovingly breathed into it. So think about that for a moment. Because that blows my mind a little bit. 
So if someone asks me who I am, I could say, well, like you, I am stardust that God molded and then breathed life into. How does that then change how I live in the world? And Jesus says, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Let that blow your mind and change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. Today is the first Sunday in Lent. Uh, which incidentally means I've been here for nine years. So uh, nine years yesterday we had a grand affair uh, with uh, pancakes on uh, Shrove Monday. Uh, you didn't know there was a Shrove Monday, did you? So we had it on Shrove Monday, threw in the lounge, and we had, I don't know, 150 people here for pancakes, and it was a grand affair. And then all the clergy that came could go back and be with their parishes on Shrove Tuesday, uh, and then on Ash Wednesday was my first service. So nine years yesterday. And like all good Sundays in Lent, we hear the story of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted or tested. And... Uh, and each year we hear a different version of that. We hear the version as told by whoever the gospel writer is that we're focusing on that year. So last year was Matthew. We heard Matthew's version. Next year is Luke. So we'll hear Luke's version. This year we have Mark's version, which is brief. It's not a lot in it. Bare bones. He doesn't kind of fluff around, Mark. He just kind of gives you the basics. So in Mark's version, Jesus is baptized. And while he is having, while he is baptized, he has his identity affirmed. You are my son, whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. Jesus is the beloved son, which we have, which we have kind of made a title and put capitals on. But there's nothing in the Greek to suggest it was a title. It was a way of saying that was his identity. That's who he was. And then immediately, immediately, the Spirit throws him out into the wilderness where he is tempted and tested. So what is he tempted and tested about? Well, about that identity. What does it mean for Jesus to be the beloved son? How is he going to live that out? So we're not given a lot of details in Mark's Gospel. There's no details about the questions that were asked. There's no fasting in Mark's Gospel. There's just uh, wild beasts and angels. And it's unclear whether the wild beasts are a menace like they are in Daniel. And the angels are keeping uh, Jesus safe uh, from the wild beasts like the angels kept uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego safe from the lions in the lion den. Uh, in the in the lion den, and then in the safe from the um, the fire. Uh, so, um, or whether it's a peaceful kingdom kind of thing. So Isaiah 11, where the lamb and the lion lie down together, or maybe it was a bit of both. Who knows? Mark doesn't give those kind of details. He just kind of throws out wild beasts and angels. So Jesus in the wilderness is being tested. How does How does he understand being the beloved son? How will he live that out? 
his identity as the beloved son is being sorely tested. And then after 40 days, and after John is arrested, Jesus comes into the Galilee announcing, Now is the time. The king, God's kingdom has come. Let that blow your mind and change your hearts and lives. And trust this good news. And then the rest of Mark's gospel is about what that means. So in many ways, what we are doing in Lent is modelled on those 40 days in the wilderness that Jesus had. They are our 40 days, except we get to do it every year. In the early church, uh, Lent was a time of baptismal preparation. So it was the time allocated for those who were going to be baptised at Easter to go through a time of preparation. And that time of pre preparation, it was their own wilderness experience. And because it was their own wilderness experience, it wasn't so much about learning about Christianity, which is what we've often taken baptismal preparation to be nowadays, and I'm as guilty of that as anyone. Important as that is, and it wasn't so much about learning about what we do at church, important as that was. It wasn't even about how to live out the faith, important as that was. It was preparation to be immersed in a new identity, a new way of seeing themselves as beloved children of God. So that when they went into the waters of baptism, it was understood that their old self would die, their old ways of describing themselves in terms of their family, in terms of their trade, in terms of their place in the empire, that would die. And as they came out of the water, a new identity, symbolised by new robes, was placed on them as beloved children of God. That became the starting point. And then they would join their brothers and sisters in God's community, the church, living the way of God found in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, bringing hope and healing to the world, helping God's work of creating a world where all would thrive and flourish. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Let that blow your minds and change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. But the old identities crept back in, as we read in Paul's letters, to his frustration. We are all sorely tested and tempted to let go of our identity, our identity in God as beloved children. Unlike Jesus, we slide back into less life-giving ways of seeing ourselves and of living so Lent, then, for us, is a time to stop, to take stock, and to ask what shapes our identity. When we're asked, who are you, how do we start answering that question? And how are those things helpful? And how are those things unhelpful? Which of those things that shape our sense of who we are do we need to pay attention to? And which of those things do we need to let go of? So what does shape our identity? Well, for the rest of Lent, I'm going to talk about one of the major ways 
that our identity is shaped, and that is what we do here on Sunday mornings, our Sunday liturgical worship. Uh, so part of what I'm going to talk about is um, from my master's thesis, which was about the Anglican liturgical tradition and how we use that with young people, which sounded like a great title until I had to define the Anglican liturgical tradition, because I made up that phrase. And part of it was, uh, part of it is going to be around the job descriptions that we have written for the various roles that people do in the church. Within Anglicanism, our liturgy is one of the main ways that our identity is shaped. So within Methodism, it's their songs. So if you want to know what Methodists believe, look at their music. Uh, if you want to know what Presbyterians believe, listen to the preachers. If you want to know what Anglicans believe, what shapes our identity, it's our liturgy, which we pray Sunday after Sunday. The Common Life Liturgical Commission, Prayer Book Commission, I think they're called, I can't remember what their proper name is, uh, has uh, described our prayer book, which comes out of this tradition, as a pattern of worship which derives from a heritage and tradition and scriptural interpretation that embodies the heart of what Anglicans believe and commonly understand. It is a taonga, a treasure, in every sense, and has a tikanga of its own. Our doctrine is found in our liturgy. It's a very important statement. Uh, and we're going to have to keep coming back to that. But essentially it says that our liturgy doesn't belong... So I... It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the whole church, and by the whole church, it means the whole church. So, not even this province, although we're the ones that agreed to use the liturgy that we have. When I was a younger priest, I used to be very cavalier about how I used the liturgy, and saw it as a good resource that we might use. Uh, and then I wrote this and realised that actually... The liturgy doesn't belong to me and I can't do with it as I please. Uh, it actually belongs to the whole church and I need to be careful with how I use it. That doesn't mean we can't be creative with it. We are going to have to be creative with it because we need to honour the tradition that it comes out of rather than being stuck with the prayer book as it is. Um, that's an important thing to note. But it is a gift and we need to treat it as a gift so over Lent, I want to spend some time thinking about our liturgy, thinking about where it comes from, thinking about what it holds, and thinking about how it shapes us as the people of God. And a part, I want to do that so that we can be aware of it, how it works and its importance. And a part, I want to do that so we can engage with it more intentionally, because actually engaging with it is part of what that tradition is about. And a part... So I'm being sneaky here. Instead of running a whole lot of trainings for the various bits of liturgy, I'm going to include that in the sermon slot so that at the end of it, some of you might feel inclined to put your hand, hands up for some of the roles, some more of the roles that are available for people in the, in the service. So this week, I just want to offer a couple of introductory comments, and I will go back to them next week and carry on. 
So the first thing to note on to note is that our Anglican liturgical tradition is based on an understanding of corporate worship that is much more than singing praise songs. So I remember at the youth events that I used to run, we used to um, uh, the national youth events. Each diocese was given um, one service to organise during the course of that event, and I would sometimes have to work with the di- those dioceses to help them think about what was going to happen in that service and then we had the kind of ending Eucharist and how that might be shaped and I remember every year just about we would have musicians always uh, say to us well worship is just singing praise songs so how about some of us stand up the front and lead us all in singing and I would have to say to them that is a part of worship but it is not the totality of worship Praising God is part of our worship, but it is so much more. It is acclamation, but it's also confession. It's also thanksgiving. It's also intercession, supplication. So praise songs have a a place. Not that we sing many, but they are not the be-all and end-all. In fact, what what our liturgical tradition offers us is an encounter between the living God and God's church, us, which changes and shapes us, those of us who participate both as individuals and as a church. Now, for a long time, coming to church was seen as an individual thing. Our prayer book just had I in it, I, 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 I. But actually, the new prayer book, which isn't that new anymore, it's 30 years old, Uh, has we in it because we rediscovered that actually we're not just a group of individuals who happen to be in the same building on a Sunday morning making our private communion but we are God's people gathered as God's community and together are being shaped I had a really interesting experience when I was in the national youth role I was a number of the uh, diocesan youth workers were Baptists and uh, They really didn't know a lot about Anglicanism, so they wanted me to tell them about Anglicanism, and they wanted me to go into their diocese and work with their their youth leaders and talk to them about being Anglican as well, because most of them didn't know much either. Which meant I had to spend quite a bit of time reading some books and thinking about what does it mean to be Anglican. And I remember as I was doing that, um, and kind of having some headlines that I could talk about, and thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense. Doesn't everyone see it like that? And realising not everyone does see it like that. I remember uh, my a good friend who was the diocesan youth worker in Nelson um, being amazed when he, like he was a Baptist pastor and then became the youth worker for the diocese and they would have uh, daily office every morning. And they prayed for the city and for the world. And he said, we never did that as Baptists. I it blew his mind a little bit that actually Christians would stop and pray for the world around them. And there are groups of pastors that do that in the city, but it's a, like it's a separate, special thing. And I'm like, we do that all the time. But, but that's part of who we are. So I began to think about, like I did Anglicanism classes at, at St. John's, and they were, I mean, they weren't great, to be honest. I fell asleep with most of them. And um, they were always after lunch, so you played volleyball, it was hot, 
you'd sit at the back of the room and have a little snooze and then you'd wake up and have a break. And I remember one of them was like, and that I woke up at the point of, and that's why we use the Psalms and liturgy. And I went, oh, that sounds like that could have been quite interesting, but never mind. And I asked some people why we use the Psalms and liturgy, and they had no idea. So uh, I felt like I hadn't missed much. But I realized, actually, that what had shaped me more than anything else wasn't St. John's, wasn't the books I'd read. It was turning up to church every week. The liturgy had acted like sandpaper on me. That's why we have the sandpaper picture. And it's not dramatic most of the time. Most of the time we don't even notice that it's happening. But slowly our liturgy changes us. Changes our sense of who we are. Changes our sense of where we are in the world. Changes our sense of what it means to be God's church in the world. Changes our sense of how we live out the faith in the world. And it's slow, just like sandpaper. The second thing I want to say as an introductory comment is that we often think about worship as something that we do. And there are a number of songs around that talk about one that we use every now and again is Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Which, and there are other ones that talk about God, you are welcome to come into our worship. And like at one level I get what those songs are about. They are saying that we have gathered and that we're ready, we're opening our hearts, let's do this thing. But at another level they completely miss the point about what worship is. And worship isn't about us at all. Worship is something that always eternally exists at the heart of God in the Trinity. We talk about the relationship of love, but that love, that relationship is also a worshipful relationship. And when we worship, we are invited into that worship that eternally exists in the heart of God. So it's not us that worship. We join the worship that is part of God. The starting point is God. And so within the Orthodox tradition, it's incredibly hard to change their liturgy because their liturgy has been given by God as the vehicle by which people gathered together might join the worship that eternally exists within the heart of God. So you can't change it because this was given by God so that you could join the worship that exists within God. That's a very different, different way from the way we often think about what we're doing here on Sundays. We often think about how can I construct this worship so that people might take these lessons or ideas out of it. This says worship starts with God. It is a gift from God. It shapes us. So how do we join that worship? That is always happening. So, there's some ideas about Lent, there's some ideas about identity, and there's some ideas about worship. So, I'm suggesting that this Lent, we think about what it is that shapes our identity, what we need to pay more attention to, what we can let go of, and one of those things that shapes our identity is our common worship together. And we're going to spend a bit of time doing that. So, I invite you to... Turn around for a moment or two and have a conversation about anything that stood out for you. 
and any questions that you might have. And then we will carry on with the creed.